Thank you, Jordan. Yeah, give him a grade. Give him a grade. I want to ask this, Jordan. Jordan, before you leave, was that one of our songs? Did one of you guys write that? Okay. One of our students? No. No. Leland. I'm sure someone knows who that is, and I'm sorry that I don't. A band. That's Leland. What a great song. It's an amazing on-ramp to our subject today. So I'm going to come back to that song, um, but a song well chosen. Let me say that, Jordan. Um, I wondered if it had been written because I didn't recognize it, obviously. Okay. We have a few traditions here at the school. I'm wondering where half the people are, but anyway, we're going to, you know, sometimes it's hard to find a seat and other times you got lots. We have a tradition at the beginning of every year where we hand out a Bible, you're welcome, Matt, to Prairie. You all know that. If over the course of this year you have somehow misplaced yours, it has disappeared, or something like that, because there are a few that look alike, you are welcome to stop by our office, ask Marion, and she'll have another Bible for you. We don't want you to leave without one of these in your backpack. Another tradition we have is grad sticks. Everyone who earns a bachelor's degree here, the four-year degree, that's not qualifying. If you came and got into in three years or two because you've transferred in, that's good. But if you earn a bachelor's degree here, we give you a graduation stick. The sticks just arrived. Do you have that? Ah, there we go. Hey? So they are here. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for shooting that up there. The sticks are in the office with Marion. Um, those of you who have already picked sticks for this year are welcome to go in and, and trade if you like. Take a look at them. If you were picking before these arrived, then they were kind of picked over. So um, come on in. Take a look. See if you find one that you like better. Put your name on it, and it will be there on the graduation platform for you. Let's say this week belongs to this year's grads, and then next week we'll open it up for any of you who are first, second, or third year. Come on up, yeah, up and put your name on a stick because there are a lot of really good sticks this year. They're nice and sturdy and so on. So we, uh, and then that might give you sort of that um, end line in sight. It's a beautiful stick. It's a diamond willow. And the reason we use diamond willows, one, because it makes a good walking stick, but two, because these scars that are diamond shaped are actually scars in the wood. And yet that's what makes the wood so beautiful, doesn't it? And it's that scar that we're able to turn out, or the, the woodworkers turn out for us, and it turns it into something beautiful. We think that's an interesting illustration of the scars in our life also. So this week, this year's grads, starting next week, just come on in, anybody who wants to tag a stick. And any of you, or if you, if you know someone who, so if any grads are not here, just you know, let them know. But anybody who's come in and gotten a stick in previous years, they're also welcome to come in and take a look. They can always trade their stick in and um, trade up if they find a stick that they would like better. Today, it is an honor to welcome Philip Calvert here. It's, a, it's an honor to welcome International Justice Mission to our campus. IJM, as many of you know, does intervention, aggressive intervention work on behalf of the under privileged or the under-opportuned people. These are prostitutes, these are slaves, um, these are people who are being taken advantage of in different countries. And anything we can do to help those people, I believe, is very, very close to the heart of God. 
Philip came out of Ambrose, where he did a master's in leadership. He is the director of development and mobilization, so he goes looking for money, and he goes looking for people who would be able to join I IJM. If you think you're interested in working or looking at hearing about what IJM is doing, you're welcome to catch him after chapel, and he'll be around for a little while. He's also doing a class with Al at 1.30, if everybody wants to go to that class instead of whatever, wherever you're supposed to be. Um, he says here, outside of work, he is training to com complete his first half marathon. He likes spending with his time with his family and enjoys a good round of golf. Who doesn't? I just haven't seen a good round of golf lately. My golf game sucks. Come on up, Philip. I want to pray for you. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the work that IJM does. We thank you for the story of Mephibosheth and how Mephibosheth... If, the, if David is a picture of you, the Messiah, Mephibosheth is a picture of us, the wounded. And we thank you for that story and how you have reached out to us. We thank you for Philip. We pray that you would bless him now with your Holy Spirit. Help us to hear from you and never be the same for having been here. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Thank you. Okay, so who's graduating? It's out of curiosity. Congratulations, guys. Let's give them a round of applause. I remember uh, when I was finishing my undergrad, um, I have to correct you a little bit, Mark. Um, I actually went to Vanguard Bible College, as where I got my bachelor's degree. And they had a branch campus in Calgary for six years, which is where I got my degree from. And uh, why that's important is because when I finished, uh, there was four of us that graduated in that final class. And it was the final class because the school closed after we graduated. Um, but I took a semester off before getting to my final year. And so I had two options. Either do 10 courses in your final semester and get it done, or move to Edmonton, which at that time in my life felt like a fate worse than death. So I chose the 10 courses. And uh, we had a small tradition as well. They gave a, a quilt. Uh, to uh, people that graduated as a, a symbol of kind of being connected and warmth and all kinds of things. But um, it, was, uh, it was a really good opportunity, and uh, I feel your excitement and uh, potentially your pain as well as you're preparing for your end. But um, that sounded really bad. <laughs> I want to have a, a guiding question for us today. <clears throat> and the guiding question would be, what does it mean to lead a movement after God's own heart? So what does it mean to lead a movement after God's own heart? Let's do a little bit of context stuff. I know you guys probably know all this better than I do, but let's just go over it. Israel and David, as a rise to power, kind of this phase of his life leading into 2 Samuel 9, um, let's, kind of, let's kind of wrap up to, to that point. So first of all, you have slavery, right? The nation of Israel is in slavery, and there's this exodus. And there's this famous phrase which comes out of the exodus, which is repeated again and again and again throughout the entire Old Testament as a precursor to any kind of law that's given, and it's, I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. So we have a religion or worldview which is defined by movement. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Right, so this entire thing is defined by these people that are on the move. 
but you have this period of wandering in the desert, and you have this period of judges. You have this unsettled and seemingly random people on the edges or margins, right? So they're, they're going somewhere, but there's ambiguity. There's probably some anxiety wrapped up in that. They're trying to get somewhere, but they don't know what that means yet or how they're going to get there. Some of you might be able to relate to that. And then David is anointed as king eventually, right? This happens. And then all of a sudden, Saul becomes the first king. What the heck? David finds himself in the margins. And we know that there is history between the family of Saul and David. You know, there's attempted murder and so on, right? Family things. Uh, During this time, David is starting to build quite a following and an image worth following. You know, there's the whole Goliath thing, right? We're familiar with that story. You know, and then uh, to, you know, funny little quip, you know, lions, tigers, and bears, oh my. You know, there's mighty men. There's these people that follow him. There's this, this mythology that's kind of following this guy that people are getting excited about it. And then you can, you, it's kind of interesting, if you're into politics and social politics in particular, if you compare David's rise to the throne to the U.S. Um, human rights movement, there's some really interesting parallels. I'll just leave that there. Go look it up if you want. But, you know, after this, David becomes king, and he starts to conquer everything in sight, right? He burns it all down. He conquers Jerusalem. Uh, he goes, and he starts this, you know, he's starting to get some real gains against the Philistines. He gets the ark. He brings it back into the city, and he's getting some attention. He's getting some real attention. You know, some of this is brought on by himself. Uh, you know, you definitely know you're going to get attention when you're dancing naked in front of the ark as it's brought back into the city. Um, and he gets some flack for that, but people are noticing what he's doing, right? People are taking note. We know in 2 Samuel 8.13, the Bible tells us specifically that he has 18,000 followers that are kind of just moving with him and trying to really kind of be with him in, the, in all of this. And now, enter, and I'm not going to say it as well as Mark just did, Mephibosheth. Is that close? Okay. Mephibosheth. Why is this important? Right? You have this people which are defined by a movement, right, going from one place to another. They've kind of started to get settled. They're getting some momentum. They have this leader that they want to follow. He's charismatic. He's getting attention. He's getting the things that they're all wanting. And then he stops this kind of train or this parade, so to speak, and he says, wait, wait, wait. Let's insert something here to make a point. So back to our guiding question. Is building a movement after God's own heart, change a little bit, is it about conquest or is it something else? So, let's take a look at what an expert in building movements has to say about kind of what that means to kind of build a movement. Uh, Brian McLaren is a noted author, and uh, he wrote a book recently called... um, uh, what is it called? Anyway, um, it's about building a movement, and it's about how basically the Christian world is trying to find a way to be a better Christians so that the world around us can kind of say, you know, what is this thing about? 
And in it, uh, he has this quote. He has this conversation he had with a guy in, in a conference in Africa trying to connect kind of these two worlds. And uh, some questions that came out of, out of this conversation is, what's wrong with the status quo? And what needs to be changed? How do we name our grievances and how do we articulate a positive vision or a way forward? And what are our specific proposals or demands for change? And how do we motivate and sustain this dissatisfaction with the status quo and catalyze it towards something better? Right, that last one is important. How do we motivate and sustain dissatisfaction with the status quo and catalyze something better, more hopeful for the future? So here we have this young man who's brought in front of David. Right, David is doing his thing, and he asks a question in chapter 9, verse 3. Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Right, so you have this conquest happening. Everything's happening. It's exciting. He stops. Is there someone that I can show God's kindness, specifically from a family that tried to kill me? Which I think is really important because you know what it does is it challenges the status quo. It challenges how people are thinking about how a new king should establish his reign. It challenges a culture of violence. It challenges the way that we think about people, especially when you start to think about who this young man was. Right? It, the Bible mentions specifically that he was disabled in both feet and that he wasn't necessarily the easiest person to find. And so you have the king who's looking for someone to show kindness to, specifically asking from a house of people that have been trying to kill him, and finds somebody, and it turns out this guy has some pretty challenging needs. Leaders need to articulate to their followers why their movements or way of thinking is worthy of following. What makes it different from the current or previous prevailing thought or institution? And what does a way forward look like? So, what movements will you, as you're getting ready to graduate or you're beginning in your school, what movements will you or are you already leading? And what will people know it for? Do you know what you're moving towards? I think is a good question to ask. So your movement, your ministry, your plan, whatever it is, is it about conquest? I'm going to, I'm going to tackle something. I'm going to challenge something. I'm going to conquer it. Or is it something else? There's a lot kind of in the media right now. You could just pay attention a little bit. There's a lot of us versus them. Is your movement going to be about catalyzing who we are? Or is it going to be about someone else? Is it preoccupied with structures, new or old? And will it value the marginalized, which might take some time to even find? So, take a little bit of detour and talk about IJM a little bit. There should be a picture up there. So, IJM as a cause, if you're familiar with what IJM is, 
we go out, we are the world's largest anti-slavery organization. Okay, so basically from the time that we started, roughly we've rescued over 45,000 people from slavery. We know that this is a massive, massive problem, right? There's over 40 billion people in the world today, sorry, 40 million people in the world today, that's a big number, um, which are currently trapped in slavery, okay? 40 million people. Four billion people live outside the protection of law, meaning that if I were to pick up the phone and dial 911, either that number doesn't exist, or if you get somebody, it becomes significantly worse for you. Okay, so the world, as we know it, around the world, in the developing world, is a dis desperately violent place. And there are a lot of people which suffer under structures which have been established which force people down. These status quo situations where people say, I want money, I want power, I will find someone to keep down in order to keep that going. This is what we fight against. This is what our God wants us to fight against. Because you see, a movement needs to be defined by something people can get behind. And getting behind rescuing little girls who are being raped time and time and time again every single day out of brothels is something that we should care about as Christians. But that's what IJM is about. Why, as a movement, has it been doing really well? I think is a good question to look into. Some of the things which have really been catalyzing moments for us have come through struggle. For example, a couple of years ago, one of our lawyers uh, was murdered in Kenya. He was trying a case of police abuse of power, and a gang of police kidnapped him and his witness and the driver that they were using and murdered them. This has been something which has catalyzed an entire community around that moment. So sometimes kind of those crisis moments can really cause a catalyzing effect. Other times, it's quite more subtle and, and much more nuanced. For example, one of the things that we value extremely highly at IJM is prayer. Every single day, at the start of our workday, we spend half an hour in solitude and just centering ourselves before our Creator and just asking for guidance for the day. As well, every single day at uh, 9 o'clock uh, here in Alberta, uh, I hop on to a video conference and we do a uh, time of corporate prayer uh, with the staff across the country. And this is something that every team around the world does. Every single day, we center our work around prayer, and we ask our God, who believes that has called us to this, to lead us and make sure that we're moving forward. And really, at the heart of what we're all about is caring for the least of these, for the poor and the marginalized. Right? Here's a verse that we should be familiar with, Matthew 25, 34 to 36. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. Then there's some arguing and some justifying, right, that happens. And then the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So, Mephibosheth is a good example of how a movement can be catalyzed through proximity. So, proximity to the other. 
So the other, as we know in the story, can be defined as his enemy, right? A descendant from his enemy. The other can be those who are disabled, that maybe we have a hard time relating to. Who knows? The other could be the marginalized. The other could be the poor, right? Insert whatever thing you think defines the other. So a movement after God's heart is not about conquest. It's not about empire, right? It's about God's kingdom, a kingdom defined by love. Even those we don't want to love or find it difficult to. At times, it'll require us to go looking for those who don't belong and find a seat for them at our table, like the song suggested. At times, it will require us to lay down our reputation in order to provide for someone who doesn't belong or who doesn't seemingly belong at our table. And at times, people on the inside may want to question why or focus on your motivations and say, why are you doing this? Remember, building a movement after God's heart is about catalyzing followers, number one. You have to give them something to follow. Keep it focused on where God can be found, which is in the margins, as we read in Matthew 25. Also, we sang the song, Better is One Day. I had to take a note as we were singing it. Uh, there's a line that says, the place your glory dwells. Right? And so I've sung this song thousands of times, right? Like most of us growing up in church. The place your, gro- your glory dwells. I've always thought of it as heaven, right? Better is one day, someday, when I get to heaven. But really, as I was thinking this morning and just praying for you all, I was thinking, you know, what, really, where is the place that God's glory dwells? Right? And we just read it. His glory dwells with the least of these. It dwells with people that may be difficult to get along with. It dwells with people that are marginalized, that are poor, that need help. That's where God's glory dwells. And so that song is pretty audacious if you think about it. Better is one day feeding the homeless than anything else. Better is one day saving some people from poverty, saving some slaves. Better is one day putting myself in the back seat than anything else. God's glory is surprising. Um, so I started by talking about a story when I graduated from Bible college. And, um, you know, that was close to 15 years ago now. And uh, there's a couple of times when looking back at my ministry that I've had, which has changed several times, uh, which, you know, preview, if you're coming to the class at 1.30, uh, you'll hear more about that. Um, but it's changed several times. And one thing that has always been so surprising, which has caught me off guard several times, is the times where I've, I've felt or I've seen God moving in such profound ways. And those times have really, really been uh, 
when I was forced to do something or was forced into a bit of tension or trying to figure out what exactly am I doing here. And really that tension ended up being resolved uh, when I was smart enough to pay attention. Uh, ended up being resolved by spending time with people that were either causing the tension or that tension caused me to focus in on somebody that I hadn't noticed before. And so as you're getting ready to graduate or as you're starting your school or wherever you are in between, one thing I want to challenge you with and leave you with here this morning is simply to think about that question. What does it mean to lead a movement after God's own heart? And to really pay attention and focus on people that are in the margins that you might have to look for a little bit. Let me pray for us. Um, and then uh, I'll be around if you want to ask any questions. Um, yeah. Uh, there's a table uh, over in the main building uh, which has information about IJM. If you want to see any, any more of that or sign up to be on a prayer list, please do that. Father, we are so uh, thankful for you this morning. We are thankful that we get to come and in relative peace and freedom uh, can learn about you, can be a part of a community that's oriented towards you. And God, I pray for everybody that's here today and for myself to be reminded that um, it can be easy to stay there. But where you call us is to places and spaces where it's not so easy, where we can find your glory in the midst of those who are hurting. God, help us to be there. Help us to be proximate to those who know what it's all about to be in your glory because you're with them already. Amen.